and welcome to another edition of the CIC Cast. I'm Joel Cookson. Happy to have you along for another episode where we talk about the world of Connecticut high school sports and anything else that uh, particularly interests us on a given day. But today we are certainly talking Connecticut high school sports and particularly a lot, a lot, a lot of CIC championship talk. We've got four guests with us today, so I'm going to uh, try and keep my little intro here as short as humanly possible. Well, I guess not as short as humanly possible because I would have stopped talking already. But either way, we cut it. We're going to uh, keep the intros down, keep the uh, the chatter from me to a minimum, and get right to our guests. We have a lot of folks here to talk uh, about the past CIAC championships, which wrapped up this past weekend. Lots of great action around the state of Connecticut, and we've got some good folks to talk with you about it. Uh, the coach, George DeMeo, comes on the CIAC cast for the first time. He's going to talk about the uh, the CIAC softball championships and the softball season in general. You're not going to want to miss that. Then uh, we don't always reach out, uh, or very often, I should say, reach out to students. But uh, in this case, uh, we, we, we thought there was uh, something special going on here. So we wanted to talk to Chris Fosdick, who is the uh, junior golfer from Xavier High School. He won the first ever. That's a pretty cool thing to be able to say when you're a victor in the inaugural or the first ever CIAC State Golf Open this past weekend. So we're going to get on the phone with Chris, talk a little bit uh, about his experience winning that championship. Next up, we're going to have Tom Felice from the NFHS Network. He was on the call at two championship venues over the weekend. He was at the Thrilling Boys Volleyball Championships, which saw a pair of five-set uh, contests, and then was also at Jonathan Law High School for the CIAC Girls Lacrosse Championship. So uh, Tom had a good perspective on a lot of things happening this past weekend. And then finally, batting cleanup fittingly, we have Scott Erickson, who a, uh, a podcast regular for us. He's going to help us break down the CIAC Baseball Championships along with uh, some of his thoughts from the season as a whole. So Scott uh, will be batting cleanup for us, help us finish off what should be a good episode of the CIAC cast uh, with a lot of CIAC championship conversation. So as I said, I'm going to kind of try to keep things uh, short and sweet here. I will quickly just say things you might have missed on CIACsports.com. A lot of championship content. We've got the uh, championship linked up, uh, which is being updated as, uh, well, not quite as we speak, but has been basically updated with all of the championships from the spring season. Uh, just a few things. We're going to, I think, add the stories uh, about the heptathlon and decathlon champions, which are taking place uh, on Wednesday. Um, hopefully when you hear this, so that should be added shortly. So those, uh, if you want to kind of recap of all the championship action linked up, Spring Championships 2018 is a excellent source for you. And if you're already uh, interested in looking ahead to the fall, we've posted the 2018 fall sports schedules. So something to uh, occupy your time all summer. Start uh, planning out your favorite travel route to see as many games as you possibly can this fall. So that information is updated as well on CIACsports.com. Of course, Tournament Central uh, has all of the information. If you want to check out any of the results from the CIAC championships, any of that good stuff, uh, it's all there uh, archived at uh, Tournament Central, so you can keep uh, keep up to date there as well. Of course, if you're listening to us on the podcast, we hope you will subscribe. If you listen to us on iTunes, subscribe, rate us, and uh, and leave a review. You can also uh, hear it on the Google Play and on Stitcher. So hope the wherever you find your podcast, hopefully CIAC Cast is available. Subscribe so you uh, will not miss out on an episode. We're going to try and stick to our every other week schedule here. Even during the summer, try to have some different conversations. So, but be sure to subscribe so you never miss a miss an episode. Again, uh, find us on iTunes. We are on the Google Play and on Stitcher. And as always, you can follow the CIAC on Twitter at CIAC Sports. Tried to post some new stuff on Instagram. Trying to build up that uh, social media platform. That's also CIAC Sports. And then Facebook.com slash CIAC Sports. That's all of the places to get the up-to-date information and uh, on the happenings and all kinds of good stuff going on in the world of Connecticut high school sports. So those are uh, the information that I wanted to pass along. Of course, we also quickly want to pass along our message from the message from our friends at the Connecticut Department of Transportation. You know the message by now, but we need to repeat it anyway. Sending or receiving a text takes the driver's eyes from the road for an average of 4.6 seconds, which if you're driving at 55 miles per hour, this is the equivalent of traveling the length of an entire football field blind. Please do not text and drive or drive distracted and encourage your friends and family to park the phone when they are behind the wheel. One text or call 
could wreck it all. This summer, you may be out on the road uh, listening to the CIC cast or uh, foolishly perhaps any other podcast besides the CIC cast. Press play, put the phone away. That's what I like to say. Hey, that all rhymed. That was pretty clever. I didn't plan that at all. Either way, we really would uh, appreciate it. Uh, the Connecticut Department of Transportation, it's an important message. Uh, just do not drive distracted. It's not worth it. You're putting yourself at risk, putting other people at risk. With all that said, let's get to our guests. we got a lot of folks to talk to here, a lot of great interviews, and uh, I'm excited to, to get on the phone with these folks. Somehow, we've never had the coach George DeMeo on the CIC cast, despite him being a, uh, a legendary figure in the world of Connecticut high school sports. So let's remedy that right now, get on the phone with coach and talk a little high school softball. We've been doing this podcast for almost four years now, I believe, and somehow this is the first time that we have uh, thought to reach out to uh, one of the uh, distinctive voices of Connecticut high school sports, the coach, George DeMeo from WELI. Coach, thanks so much for joining me. Hey, I'm glad to be here, Joe. Love talking uh, high school sports anytime, any day. Hey, glad you finally remembered me to put me on the show. You know I know. That's inexcusable. I, I, I should be fired for <laughs> dereliction of duty, quite frankly. The fact that I hadn't uh, hadn't thought to reach out to you yet. So we'll, uh, we're going to pick Joe. your brain about a little softball here. Because for those uh, folks who, uh, who know you, they know you have been all over the softball diamond over the past uh, oh, yeah. month or so. And, and through the championships, uh, covering three of our championships at West Haven uh, over the weekend. So let's start there. And... Uh, Three championship games there, and, and the first thing that comes uh, to mind is you got to see an awful lot of offense uh, at West Haven this weekend, but what were kind of your your big impressions or, or sort of biggest takeaway from the three games you saw at, at West Haven over the weekend? Well, that that's you just, you just sort of measured it, and then when we were talking about it you know, during the course of the game with the people from the CIAC and, you know, people from the softball world, I don't think I can remember – an L game or a double L game that had so many runs and so many hits between the two teams. I mean, normally you get a double L game and it's 2-1, one nothing, you know, 3-2. It's one of those kind of games. Mm -hmm. I never expected uh, a double L game of 13-7 yeah. uh, between Amity and Trumbull. That was one. Certainly the L game, Massac and Brookfield, there's a 10 nothing game. I mean, I guess I was mildly shocked when Notre Dame and Fairfield only won their game 5-2. I guess, and the one thing I can say this year, a takeaway from all the games I covered, even before I went on uh, broadcasting in the early part of the season, mm -hmm. this particular year, for some reason, it was in fact a year of era-filled softball. Hmm. I mean, I have never written down uh, so many eras in my score sheet that I have in all the years I've covered softball. And listen, my, Mike, I played baseball. My coach said, you're going to make errors during the game. Sure. That happened. I just have not seen this many by so many teams. I'm talking tournament teams uh, that I've ever seen before, maybe in all my 30-some-odd years. Yeah, interesting. You wonder if maybe the, uh, the the late start kind of of the spring and teams not getting able to get out on the field and that kind of stuff, if that uh, played a part in it. But that's interesting to, to hear that perspective, uh, certainly from someone who's seen an awful lot of softball over, uh, oh, over the course of his career. Games. Yeah, and you know, you made a good point, though. Uh, and that's the one thing the coaches said to me, maybe when I first uh, talked to them, they said, you know, we haven't been able to get out like for a week or we're practicing indoors. And that's just not the same thing. Nope. No, so I understand where they're coming from. You got to get on the field, and you've got to uh, you got to take those those ground balls and hit those pop ups. I mean, I saw it in the championship game where uh, you know the a drop pop up, a, a drop fly ball. You know what I mean? It was sure. just it was incredible the way. Uh, the way these things were falling to the ground. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's uh, let's talk quickly about uh, that. Some of the games uh, specifically, you mentioned that double L game, uh, an offensive uh, firepower here between Amity and Trumbull. Amity uh, knocking off the defending champions in double L Trumbull by a 13-7 to score. Uh, sort of a tale of, of two different games as you had Amity just kind of pummel its way to that big lead and then Trumbull maybe uh, at least looking like they might be pulling off an improbable comeback before uh, uh, running out of time. So what kind of uh, jumped out at you about that double L game, Coach? Well, here's what here's my takeaway, and, and again, something that I've noticed all year long, and something I've harped about on my radio show during my uh, broadcast. 
uh, I call it the sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. And I didn't see many teams play with that sense of urgency this year. Going out there, knowing that they they got to have the game and wanting it, maybe that's it, wanting it more than the other team. And I've said it every Saturday morning. I think my producer was tired of me saying it. Saying <laughs> I didn't see it. I just didn't see it. I didn't see this wanting it more than the other team. And if you know, maybe they they came around late, or you know, they said, "Oh, it's time to play now." And I saw it so many times, uh, which, which really got me upset, got me a little disappointed. Mm-hmm. I finally got to see it in the very last game I did, which was the Amity Trumbull game. This Amity team came out. Let me put it this way: Was this vintage Amity team that I've seen over the many years I've covered Amity? Heck, no. But let me tell you, they came out and they wanted it, and they wanted it more than Trumbull, and they came out and just hit the crap out of Paul Joe. <laughs> I mean, bolting out to a 13 nothing lead, but again, very, very vulnerable Amity. Uh, it's not that they didn't give up their runs during the season, because they did. That, that was their thing. They needed to score runs in the game because they were going to give up some. Sure. Uh, their pitches were very hittable, and not that they were bad, but just hittable, mm-hmm. and they knew they'd have to make some plays. Trouble put on a as I said that during that inning, if they ever came back and tied this game or even won the game, that would have been the most sensational comeback maybe in baseball or softball history. Sure. It didn't happen. Amity wins the game 13-7. But when can you say that the two double-L teams combining for 20 runs on some 27 hits? Yeah. It just doesn't happen. But Amity showed me that they wanted that championship maybe more than any team I saw this year. Yeah, no, uh, as you say, they, uh, uh, I don't think uh, I'd have to do a little digging, but I can't imagine we've had 20 combined runs in a, uh, a double <laughs> L championship game or any softball championship game, for that matter, uh, over the course of CIC history. Not many, anyway. Um, Not many. Talking about uh, a dominant team and a dominant performance in Class L, you had Masick, uh, the defending champions as well. They, uh, or excuse me, not defending champions, but a, a strong, a perennially strong team uh, coming through and, and shutting out their SWC rival uh, Brookfield. What was the story from your perspective of that uh, Class L game with Masick coming away from the championship? Dominating performance. This Masick team, which should finish as the number one team in the final state poll, uh, you know, twenty-four and zero. They, again, a team that came out, and I said to uh, uh, the coach before the game, Leah Baroon, I said, listen, uh, they're calling this, the L, they called it the Massac Invitational, mm-hmm. saying that this was your tournament uh, to win or to lose, and, uh, and you were the big favorite. And she was <laughs> actually said, uh, I've heard that, uh, and uh, I don't like to talk about it because I just want to get through the game. But they were dominating. They hit the ball again. Their first four hitters were, were still dominating. It, it was unbelievable. They've got they got a couple of pitchers and Sheedy pitched a gem in, in the in the championship game. A two hitter, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, again, it's just the fact they came out and dominated the game. Now, uh, Brookfield, who I, I, I and I know their coach very very well, uh, Nick uh, Castellano. Listen. Brookfield had a sensational year. Sure. They were just overmatched against this Massac team. And to be honest with you, the semifinal game that Brookfield played hand and beat hand probably was the best, along with the Amity Southington game, the best semifinal game going. Matter yeah. of fact, let's be quite honest this year, Joel, the semifinal games were better than the championship games, sure. which happens many, many times. Yeah, no, you get uh, a lot of, you know, there's obviously a lot of quality depth in these uh, in these leagues and, and throughout uh, throughout the division. So, you yeah, you get, uh, you know, four really good teams in those semifinals. You can see some uh, some excellent softball there as well. So a dominant performance for Massick as they run the table, go undefeated, and uh, come away with that Class L championship. Last championship game uh, that you saw, you talked a little bit about Dominant pitching, St. Joseph uh, got a heck of a performance there and, uh, and was able to scrape together enough offense uh, to come away with a, three, a 5-2 victory over uh, Griswold in the Class M championship game. What was, uh, what was the story of that M championship from your perspective, Coach? Well, again, St. Joe's, uh, I'll say this, uh, it was a 5-2 game. And Listen, I love softball. I love all the games. I love all the kids. Was it one of those exciting 5-2 games? No, it was not. Uh, St. Joe's basically, I think, had things in hand. And the reason they had it in hand is Griswold 
who had been, let's face it, uh, perfect, right, mm-hmm. in the semifinal game uh, in their win over North Brantford, were certainly less than perfect in the championship game. They committed four costly, four costly errors in the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm talking a drop pop-up by the second baseman. I'm, draw, I'm talking about a drop pop-up in center field, which was right in her glove. Here's a girl one of the best players in the state. Hey, listen, they happen. I understand. I'm just not expecting it from a girl on her way to Albertus and probably going to start in center field. She's just one heck of a player. Yeah. But uh, things I saw there, which I wasn't used to seeing with Griswold, uh, kind of a surprising uh, game from them in a, in a not so good way. St. Joe's, I think, took advantage of everything they were given, got a great pitching performance, and you know what? They, they went 5 two Again, I thought they had things basically in hand throughout the entire game. Yeah. Uh, so we certainly don't mean to give short shrift to the uh, the Class S championships. We'll just mention uh, nope. Stafford coming away with a, a, a victory, a comfort-behind victory over Holy Cross uh, at DeLuca Field. Coach just happened to be uh, setting up shop at his home away from home at West Haven uh, there. <laughs> well. So we didn't uh, he didn't get to cover that one, but certainly congratulations to Stafford on winning the program's first title uh, in more than 40 years. So an exciting game there uh, in Class S uh, with them triumphing over Holy Cross. But looking back, Coach, uh, maybe a broader perspective uh, from just the championships, but uh, I'm just curious what were some of the games or stories or, or players that kind of stick out in your mind from the uh, the entirety of the 2018 uh, you know softball season in Connecticut? Yeah, all the additions, as I say, probably writing the uh, letter E in my scorebook more <laughs> often than I would like to, which I really did. Uh, and I love covering the games, never just by broadcasting them, but I, uh, before I start my broadcast, I've got like whole couple of weeks at least of covering games and going to games every day. Sure. I mean, I, I saw performances uh, prior to that by Sidney Sinertia from North Brantford, who I have never even in a broadcast game. I saw her against East Haven, and of course I keep score for all, all the games I cover and struck out the first ten batters she faced. I mean, I've never written down ten Ks in a row. <laughs> ten. And then, of course, she ends up with 17 for the game. And obviously uh, won that game uh, by giving up just a couple, uh, one hit, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Um, I see that. I see dominant performances. Uh, Amanda King from Guilford, who uh, basically had to carry a lot of the load herself this year, helping Guilford to get to where they got to. Uh, and again, I think Guilford at times just not living up maybe to what I thought they were going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she certainly had a great year. Uh, how can I leave out Becca Johnson from Seymour? Sure. Who uh, had, uh, I like to call him gaudy, gaudy numbers. <laughs> I yeah. mean, batting almost 800, and uh, just one of the best, as I said in one of my blogs, probably one of the best, if not the best, because I've been doing it for a long time. Sure. Outfielders, let's face it, outfielders don't get a lot of, a lot of play, a lot of fame, over the years, especially when it was 40 feet, not a lot of balls hit to the outfield. Now that the ball is being put in play more uh, from 43 feet, and I'm glad it is that this is off the side. I'm glad about this by college, and I'm glad to see the ball put in play because I want to see the kids be able to feel the ball and not just watch the pitcher throw to the catcher, you know, for 21 strikeouts. Sure. To be quite honest. Uh, that doesn't mean I don't like Rachel Fico, but <laughs> I'm just saying uh, uh, in the past. But She's made catches in the outfield and can do it all better than I've seen maybe any girl. And I'd have to go back to 1985, late 80s, uh, when I first started and saw a girl from Holy Cross and Waterbury, who, by the way, I think still works for ESPN behind the scenes. Her name is Linda Mascola, mm-hmm. and she's probably the best outfielder then from Holy Cross. Well, this girl right here, Becca Johnson, she is probably the best outfielder that I've ever seen uh, since then and can play on my team, as I told her, any day of the week. Sure. Uh, I saw great performances from her. Also saw the girl from Amity this past weekend, uh, Nicole Koshis, who uh, just turned it on as well as I've seen any girl ever do it. Shortstop, her, her sister, Katie Koshis, who pitched for Amity. Uh, Nicole just really rose to the occasion. I actually said to her, and I actually said to her mother at the time, I said, you know, I almost doubted Nicole. 
saying if she can get up for this championship game, if she can really uh, you know, get into it. And uh, her mother was a little surprised. She said, listen, she wants it more than anybody. Yeah. And she showed it this weekend and had a lot of help. She, she, had, and she, runs, she actually scored that tying run in the game, uh, in, in that game against Southington, and just put on a show that I won't forget. Ironically, Joe, at the end of every year, uh, I pick out my softball player or players of the year, mm-hmm. and I can pick anybody I want since it's my award. <laughs> but the only thing, I mean, it makes it easy that way. That's the right. only criteria I have is that they have to be a senior. I've I picked all seniors. I've done it since 2004. been picking out players of the year this year. I had the four players I mentioned, and that's probably why I mentioned them again. Sydney Sinosha from North North, Rebecca Johnson Seymour, Nicole Koshis from Amity, and Amanda King from Gilbert. They're all my uh, high school softball players of the year. And just great performances by all throughout the year. No question about it. Uh, as you said, it was uh, you know maybe not the the most thrilling championship weekend, but always great to see uh, champions crowned and some strong performances. And as you said, teams uh, playing with that sense of urgency. And uh, nobody does it better than coach, and uh, nobody brings perspective like you do. So I uh, I apologize for waiting so long to bring you on the podcast no. to uh, talk about it, but we're thrilled to have you. And uh, thanks so much for offering your perspective on a a great season, a great uh, championship weekend of softball. Joe, anytime I can help you, as I told you, the CIAC, anytime you need my help or the or WELIs, you know you got it. Uh, so uh, just don't wait another four years to have me on again. No. We certainly will not do that. <laughs> I've got your number on speed dial now. Thanks, Coach. Thanks so much to Coach DeMeo. Unbelievable job. That guy has got uh, more energy and more enthusiasm for high school sports than just about anybody. And that uh, is particularly amazing. We, uh, I know in our office here at, at the CIAC, and I try to say publicly as much as I can, that uh, there are not many states that have the kind of coverage of high school sports that Connecticut has. And a lot of it is due to people like Coach George DeMeo, who is just passionate about it and does a wonderful job covering it. And uh, and he was on hand for a lot of softball this spring, as he will be uh, in the in the fall for a lot of football and other things and then in the winter as well. He's a busy man does a great job keeping tabs on high school sports so certainly somebody uh, we're happy to have on the podcast and we'll have back again soon. I don't know if we're going to have this gentleman on again soon, but he certainly was uh, is exciting to reach out to. As I said, the first ever CIAC State Open Golf Champion, a, a new event we started this year. It was about time that we added a State Open in golf to bring together the best boys and girls golfers in the state. And Chris Fosdick from Xavier was our champion. Let's hear him talk about that experience. We're very happy to be joined now by the first ever CIAC State Open Golf Champion, Chris Fosdick of Xavier High School. Chris, thanks so much for joining me. You're welcome. Great, great, uh, great to have you here, and congratulations on the the, the State Open Championship. Um, so, just wanted to talk to you a little bit about the event and and how things uh, went for you. Um, obviously, you, the divisional championships uh, at the start of the week, you played well there. What were your your sort of expectations following that divisional meet uh, heading into the Open? Well, um, after States, I, I put together a pretty good round. I uh, definitely left some shots out there. I was, And going into the Open, I definitely wanted to play a little bit better and take advantage of all my opportunities that I could to make some putts and make some birdies, and it uh, turned out positive on Saturday. Yeah. Um, you said obviously the, the, you know, the state championships were early in the week. What kind of, uh, did you have any specific preparations for the, the open, uh, on Saturday, anything in particular you did kind of leading up to that, uh, um, to, to get yourself ready for that competition? Yeah. So, um, on the open was Saturday, two days before that Thursday, um, me and a couple of my friends went down to Black Hall to play a practice round, mm-hmm. kind of just get a feel for what I wanted to hit off of each tee and uh, get a feel for the greens. And do you feel like that uh, that helped you when, when it came to the round on Saturday? Yeah, definitely. Especially on that course, it's a lot of like positioning off the tee. Uh, during the practice round, I hit like a hybrid when I should have hit four iron, and it went into the trees through the fairway, mm-hmm. which you wouldn't have known about um, if you didn't play a practice round. Yeah. Um, 
So you get there on Saturday, obviously, and you know it's a, a very good field. Uh, a lot of kids, I'm sure that you're familiar with, uh, having played against either or or seen some of their scores throughout the year. What was your uh, what was your how were you sort of feeling? Were you excited, nervous, confident? What what was kind of your uh, your feeling uh, before the round got underway on Saturday? Well, I just I just treat it like any other tournament. I I play a lot of tournaments, so I kind of felt like in my environment and. Uh, I felt pretty confident coming into uh, Saturday. Felt pretty good about my game. Very good. Well, it uh, obviously it uh, with good reason you felt good about your game. Tell me a little bit about the about the championship round itself. What kind of stands out to you as as the key and and what uh, the key and, and sort of the most successful part of the round for you? Well, so I started off with two bogeys, my first two holes, and in past years I kind of would have gotten down on myself mm-hmm. and. Uh, um, just kind of like get upset, but on Saturday after the two bogeys, I kind of, I didn't let it phase me. I knew I had a lot of golf left and, uh, I came back with, uh, a good amount of birdies. And so that just, I matured from past years coming into this year. Yeah, that's, uh, you think that is just, it's just a maturation process a little bit and, and having been through experiences, uh, both good and bad before that kind of helped you, uh, get mm-hmm. to a place where you could overcome, uh, kind of a, a start like that that you weren't looking for? Yeah, it's definitely, it's a lot of mental when it's at this, at a high level with golf. It's obviously you, skill, you need skill, but it's a lot of mental as well. Yeah. Uh, any particular part of your game that was uh, that that really worked for you on on Saturday that you think uh, made a big difference? Yeah, on uh, Saturday, my approach shots coming to the green, my I hit a lot of very good approach shots, and after that, I made a lot of putts. So the combination of my approach game and my putting and short game definitely combined very well together. Well, it uh, it certainly works. So I'm curious. Obviously, you know, a, a high school event like that, even the state open, you know, we don't have uh, big scoreboards out there or anything like that for you to keep an eye on. But I'm curious if you were all aware at all aware of kind of what other players were doing, or if you knew that you were sort of uh, out in front, or if any if you were aware of any of that, or were you just kind of focusing on what you were doing? I was aware because my um, Xavier golf coach, he, Mr. Coase, he told me that. Uh, he knew where everything stood, mm-hmm. and then I asked, "Can uh, can you tell me where I stand?" And he said, "Do you really want to know? Because sometimes <laughs> pressure and stuff." And I was like, "Yeah, I want to know." And so I knew at the time, with I believe like seven holes left to play, mm-hmm. I was two under, tied for the lead. This other kid was at two under, and um, not not one of the kids I was playing with. So then I. I made two birdies coming in from there, and the rest pars, and so I shot four under, and I was aware that the other kid, he didn't finish great, but I knew where I stood. Yeah. Did that? Uh, did knowing that change your approach at all? Uh, you said it about seven holes to go, or, or was it still sort of, uh, obviously, as you said, you had that practice round under your belt, so maybe you had some idea how you wanted to play those holes, but did that, uh, yeah. but did that knowledge change anything for you, or just kind of help you maybe focus in a little bit more knowing that you had a shot at it? Well, yeah, it made me focus in with two under with like six or seven to play. I knew that was going to be close to the lead. I don't know if it was going to be leading mm-hmm. at the time, but then then I knew where I stood, and I just made sure I just wanted to play my game, play smart, and if I did that, I knew just wait for someone to make a mistake and you just stay steady, and that's what happened. All right. Well, it uh, as I said, certainly worked out for you. So obviously, you, you finish up. You uh, discover that you are the champion. What's that feeling like, knowing that your uh, your name is now going to always be there as the as the first uh, state open champion in high school Connecticut high school golf, and uh, and obviously winning a, an event like that with a lot of uh, you know stiff competition. What was the feeling for you, and, and your thoughts sort of after the round concluded? Well, it was a, it was a really good feeling because. Uh well, like like you said, it was the first ever state open, and uh, maybe someday, if I reach my goal to go pro, kids or other people can look back and see, like, yeah, Chris Fosick won the first uh, Connecticut Open. So that that's a really cool feeling to know that I just won the first one. Yeah. 
Uh, all right. Well, I'll just let you uh, wrap up here, but I want to just kind of ask, you know, obviously you said you're, you just finished your, your junior year. What's uh what sort of uh, goals, both maybe for the summer, where I'm sure you'll be playing a lot, and then even looking ahead to next year, uh, do you sort of have for yourself? Uh, what do you? Uh, what are your goals, expectations, kind of uh, moving forward? If you've started to uh, to allow yourself to kind of think about those things. Well, yeah. Last year, I had a really good summer, and got me. Uh, it brought my ranking down a lot, so it made my ranking a lot better. And I'm this summer. I'm trying to add to that. I got to the top 200. I got to like 200th and junior ranking mm-hmm. last year and now this year my goal is to be top 50 it's a tough goal but it's definitely worth reaching for very good and next year next year i just want to continue on what we did this year and hopefully as a team for next spring xavier team will uh be in the running for another championship well, I'm sure that uh, with you kind of leading the way there, that you'll certainly uh, will be in the mix. So I just wanted to uh, uh, get on the get a chance to to chat with you here and hear folks uh, here from the first ever uh, CIAC State Open champion. So let me add my congratulations and uh, and say best of luck for the summer and uh, congratulations again. W- wonderful round of golf and uh, it's pretty cool to, to to be able to see that that's the uh, the first person uh, to to earn that title. So congrats. Thank you. Thanks so much to Chris. He's a busy guy. He had just been uh, working with the folks at the Hartford Current, as they named him their uh, Golfer of the Year, not surprisingly. And I uh, hope that I'm not spoiling that, but uh, I, I'm not sure that's really that much of an upset. Either way, uh, he found a little time to, to get on the phone with me, probably before heading to the course, and, uh, and keeping that game sharp. So we thank Chris for talking with us and wish him best of luck as he works his way through his summer season, and then uh, we'll be back on the courses uh, for his high school team next year. Coming up next, Tom Felice of the NFHS Network does a great job covering uh, championship events for us. Uh, every every season, just about, Tom will find his way to a microphone to cover events for the NFHS Network. And he was at two sites uh, this weekend. As I mentioned, he was at boys volleyball and then also at girls lacrosse. So let's get on the phone with Tom, hear him break down what he saw, what he, uh, what he felt, what he uh, understood from boys volleyball and girls lacrosse championships this past weekend. It was, of course, CIAC Championship Weekend around the state of Connecticut, and uh, on the mic for the NFHS Network at a few venues was Tom Felice. So we wanted to get on the phone with Tom and help him uh, have him help us kind of break down some of the exciting action that he saw over the weekend. Tom, thanks so much for being with us. My pleasure, Joel. So let's start off with what uh, may have turned out to be the uh, it was the opening events kind of of that of the official busy championship weekend. It may have been the most exciting uh, that we saw all weekend, and that was the two boys volleyball finals at Shelton High School. A pair of five set uh, thrilling finals there as Newington and Staples come away with the titles in Class M and L respectively. So let's sort of start big picture, Tom, and what kind of was the your sort of main takeaway or kind of biggest impression from uh, from that those two two volleyball championships uh, at, at Shelton. Well, I think you used the perfect word in exciting. Both matches went five sets. The first time in CIAC history that both boys' volleyball championship matches went five sets, and even every set was pretty close. I think the first one in the first game was 25-16, and after that, all the sets were very tight. So it was just back and forth, and it was high-level volleyball as well. Yeah, no, uh, it's, you don't, uh, I think one of those things, you, you sort of almost call it a coin flip there between the two. So let's start with uh, w- with the Class L, Staples and Ridgefield, obviously two teams that know each other well, played several times over the course of the season, also met in the FCAC championships, but ultimately it was Staples uh, completing the undefeated season and, and outlasting Ridgefield 15-13 in the fifth set uh, after uh, the Tigers had battled back um, after dropping the first two sets. So what was kind of your, your big takeaway, and, and what was the sort of the difference from what you saw for Staples coming able to come away with a championship in Class L? It was very impressive on both sides. As you mentioned, they had played during the season, and Staples had beat Ridgefield three times. Three of them were sweeps. No one the entire season had pushed pushed Staples to a fifth set, but Ridgefield you know, put that out of their mind, and they were able to bring Staples to a fifth set, and then Staples was able to reset after that fourth set they lost and were able to win the fifth set the first time they had been challenged like that all season. Yeah, impressive to see uh, both uh, the the resilience of Ridgefield, as you said, to to kind of push Staples more than anybody has pushed them all year. But then uh, you know the the kind of mental toughness of Staples to 
to rebound after dropping those two sets and uh, and come away with that victory in that fifth set. Anything stand out in terms of what was kind of decisive in that final set that ultimately decided the championship? All match long, the setter, Logan Carlton for Staples, seemed very in control. You know, he, he picked very good times to attack to go on two as the setter, and he was moving the ball very well. And I think he was really the key for Staples all day long, but certainly he stepped up in the fifth set as well. Yeah, so another uh, championship for Staples and uh, an undefeated season, certainly an impressive run uh, for, for that, that crew. So then on to Class M where it's Newington uh, repeating as the Class M champion and, and about as close a volleyball match as you can get. I believe uh, the, the biggest difference was just two sets uh, that were decided by three points, but the other three all decided by two points, including a 15-13 uh, decisive set for uh, Newington in the fifth. What was, uh, what was the story from your perspective of that Class M championship? Just how competitive those two teams are. This is the fifth straight year that they met in either the semifinal or the final of the Class M volleyball tournament, and they're still playing such competitive sets, as you mentioned, and going all the way to five with Newington being able to pull it out 15-13. What, uh, what struck you as the difference uh, for, for Newington and, and able to come away with that victory? Uh, those two teams, it wasn't a, a, a quite the same situation with the comeback. They traded sets all the way through, uh, but then Newington winning 15-13 in the final. What, was, uh, what jumped out at you as the difference in that decisive fifth set? Newington's setter again, Dan Cloutier, he ended up with over 50 assists, and he was moving the ball very well, and Louis Egbuna got some big kills, and he ended up with seven aces as well. He had a long run of serving in the third set, and he also appeared to injure himself. He was diving for a ball and looked like he might have jammed his wrist, but he came back up. He didn't miss a point, and Louis Egbuna was really, really a target for Cloutier, the setter, and he was able to lead Newington to the win. All right. It was uh, as you, as I said, uh, you know, not much sure. Not sure. There's a much better way to kick off a busy championship weekend than with a pair of uh, of stellar five set uh, matches for state championships. But uh, you were on the road uh, again on Saturday, making the trip to Jonathan Law to cover the uh, the girls lacrosse finals, three championship matches, uh, several highly competitive contests. Uh, let's start off with Class M, uh, which pitted two uh, longtime rivals, Branford and Daniel Hand, against each other. It's Branford earning the program's second uh, state championship, second consecutive championship. Uh, what, what stood out to you as the difference in that, uh, that Class M final between those two rivals? Well, there certainly wasn't much of a difference. As you mentioned, it was seven to eight. Senior before Branford scored five goals, and it seemed like and she was really able to step up. But as you mentioned, there wasn't much of these teams. During the regular season, Daniel Hand beat Branford, and then Brand then Hand won the SEC tournament. But Branford must be some tournament match back to back years, and the Hornets have been able to win it at State. A uh, little bit of, uh, of familiar territory here with New Canaan coming away with the championship in Class L, again against a, uh, a conference rival in Ridgefield. Uh, a fairly comfortable victory by 19-7 to score. What stood out to you, impressed you with that New Canaan team as they were able to uh, capture the championship uh, up in Class L this year? They've been in M the, 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 the last couple of seasons, come away with the victory in Class L this season. What stood out to you and impressed you the most about that New Canaan squad uh, winning in Class L? Well, there's no letdown for New Canaan. We've seen a semifinal lead rival Darien. Darien had over 100 straight games against teams from Connecticut. But New Canaan had set finals and then came out strong. They were up 8-3 at halftime, and Britton Dottle was really involved in everything. She ended up with six goals, eight assists for New Canaan, one of four players to have a hat trick. So it just showed the depth of New Canaan and they did not take the foot off the pedal after that semifinal win there yet. Yeah, no, uh, as you said, uh, certainly, uh, you know, they knew Ridgefield a, a quality opponent, but maybe the risk of uh, of some uh, of, of using up all the energy in that dramatic uh, semifinal victory over their, their rival, Darien, but uh, New Canaan able to uh, to overcome that and a, a very spirited Ridgefield squad. What about the, uh, the Class S game? You had New Fairfield, which was able to come away with championships in boys and girls lacrosse over the weekend, uh, outlasting East Catholic by a 9-6 score. What was the story of that contest from your perspective? The story with that was just New Fairfield is a established program, and they won their first state title in 2000. 
East Texas didn't have a varsity girls lacrosse team at that point. Mm-hmm. So New Fairfield has just been able to build their program, but East Catholic fought back as well. They were down six goals in the second half. They scored four straight to make it close. You know, Alexa, a very good player for East Catholic, was a key to that comeback. But it was just impressive how New Fairfield has built a program, as you mentioned, on the boys' side and the girls' side. You know, they're all across town, and it showed with the performance of the girls in the championship game. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, that the, that sort of uh, legacy and history uh, can sometimes carry you through when things get a little uh, get a little tight in those championship games. You mentioned a few players from uh, uh, that stood out from New Canaan and and one or two from New Fairfield. Just curious if there are any other uh, players that really stood out to you with their performances uh, on any of the squads over the the course of the three games at Jonathan Law. Yeah, the New Fairfield goalie Rachel Mickaway. She came up with some big saves and some big times. You know, she wasn't called on too often in the first half. The East Catholic was still settling in. And the seventh offense, Nicolay, able to step up. And one of her teammates, Dominique DeMarsico, had two shorthanded goals in two-minute penalty. Mm-hmm. And it, it was right at the start of the second half. It seemed to really be a key for New Fairfield. He's got one goal. Up a man early in that power play, and it, you know it was really like five seconds into the power play. So it seemed like East Catholic might be able to really get the attack going with the extra man. Demarcico went the other way toward their field, and she was really a key to the offense. Very good. Well, certainly a lot of uh, a lot of talent on display, a lot of competitive uh, uh, championship games, and we love to see that. Uh, I feel like that girls lacrosse uh, championship weekend gets uh, gets better and better and more competitive year after year. So, Tom, we uh, we greatly appreciate it. We love uh, being able to get on the phone with you and and talking to you about all you see, helping us out with the NFHS network. So we uh, we greatly appreciate it, and thanks so much for all your perspective, and uh, hope you enjoyed the broadcasts. Last but certainly not least, after we say thank you to Tom for doing such a good job, apologize he had a little, uh, his phone was a little dicey there in and out. Hopefully you're still able to uh, to take away what he was uh, sharing with us there. We uh, we certainly try to work through some of those technical issues, but uh, his, his phone was a little uh, bouncing in and out there. But still good conversation with Tom, bringing a lot of insight about the world of boys volleyball and girls lacrosse from the championships this past weekend. And congratulations to all of those champions as well, as to congratulations to all of the champions uh, from the CIC championship season. Finally, as I said, last but not least, Scott Erickson, Stanford Advocate, Hearst, Connecticut CT, the Game Time CT High and Tight podcast. You see him everywhere uh, covering high school baseball, among other things. Let's get on the phone with Scott, help us break down what took place at Palmer Field in Middletown this past weekend. Maybe one of the busiest men uh, in the state of Connecticut over this past weekend was Scott Erickson and his cohorts at Game Time CT. They were stationed at Palmer Field in Middletown to uh, take in all of the four CIAC baseball championships. They did some wall-to-wall coverage there that you should check out at Game Time CT. So we gave Scott, you know, two days off to maybe not have to think about baseball for at least a little <laughs> bit, but we had to bring him back and uh, onto the podcast to talk about it. Scott, thanks as always for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me, Joel. Always, uh, always good to have you on and uh, and try to get a little uh, glimpse of what took place at Palmer Field. So let's start things off there, kind of go uh, game by game here and break down what we saw. Probably the game of the weekend, uh, the first game that took place on Saturday, the first of a triple header, uh, the double L game, Cheshire earning its first championship in about 25 years, uh, one nothing over Ridgefield, tight pitchers duel. What stood out to you from that uh, class double L final? You know, the Class L is generally, you know, the elite baseball game of the year, and this year it was again. You know, we've, we've been lucky the last few years to have some really good L finals against and have, you know, teams that deserve to be there in the mm-hmm. final. You know, sometimes in baseball teams slip through, but Cheshire and Richfield were certainly deserving. There were two teams that we thought all season would be really good coming in, and that game lived up to everything we thought it would be. We thought it would be low-scoring, pitcher's duel. Uh, Cheshire had their ace, Ben De Bell going. And Richfield had their number two sophomore Matt DeLuca going, but he would be a number one on most teams. Yeah. You know, Richfield just happens to have Alex Price on the team too, who we think is—I mean, I think—is you know one of the best pitchers in the state. Right. Um, but we thought it'd be low scoring, and it was. Both pitchers were excellent. It got into the seventh inning, um, top of the seventh, 
and Cheshire gets a couple runners on with walks, and De La Bell comes on, uh, Richfield goes to their bullpen, and the kid, you know, who has the power to put the ball over the wall doesn't try to do too much, just puts the ball in play, he grounds out, but the run comes home, and that's the game, and that was <laughs> that was it. But the kids just both pitched so well, and the teams played defense so well. Uh, that It was, you know, the first game on Saturday, uh, we had the game Friday night too, but it really set a great tone, and, and it was definitely the best game of the day. Yeah, no, you'd love to see uh, two good pitchers do what, uh, what everyone expected them to do and uh, produce the kind of game you expected. So Cheshire comes away with the uh, with the championship. You mentioned Friday night. That was the Class L uh, final, not a pitcher's duel. As, uh, no. <laughs> as Weathersfield, two uh, CCC teams, Weathersfield and Windsor, uh, matched up, and Weathersfield uh, pounded its way to 16 runs. I'm guessing the offense was sort of the story of that game, but what, uh, what kind of jumped out at you from that Class L final with Weathersfield taking the title? Uh, I mean, first, the, not even the game itself, but the crowd was one of the best I've seen at a game uh, standalone game, especially. Sometimes you get crossovers where you know people are coming in for the next game, but they filled the grandstand at Palmer, and then they filled most down the right field line. Those bleachers that go down the right field line. It was a tremendous crowd. We were watching from the uh, press box, and you could see you know the line going down. And in the second inning, yeah. there was still a line past the Legion, which is like a good you know hundred hundred fifty yards. It was an awesome crowd. Windsor was really fired up. They had a massive section they had a guy leading cheers they did a roll call for their kids one of the best atmospheres for a baseball game that i've been at in a long long time so i just want to say credit to weathersfield and windsor they're very close to middlebury but they came they traveled yeah and sometimes even when teams aren't close they don't travel well but they showed up for this game and and you could tell it was a rivalry game yeah the game itself you know it was it was sloppy there was six errors there was a ton of hits but we did see the performance of the weekend uh, from Jimmy Sullivan, who, I, I mean, just left everyone with their mouth open. <laughs> this kid <laughs> was, on, first of all, I mean, he's like, I don't know if he's 6'3", six, 6'4", six, I, I didn't check his height, but he's, he's tall, he's lanky, he, you know, he has two home runs, both over the bleachers in right field, just wow. blasts, and then he has two triples. And on his last triple, I swear, from second base to third base, he took like six steps, six strides. <laughs> He's just a long, fast kid, and, and that was almost more impressive than the home runs to me, the way he went around the bases. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Fody, uh, the other kid for them, also had a huge home run to right field. I mean, they just, Weathersfield just hit the ball really, really well uh, all night, every inning. And Windsor, who had an awesome season, like one of the best seasons in school history, had their bad night on, on the, you know, the worst possible night you can have it. Yep. and. Pitchers didn't have it, and uh, you know they weren't fielding well. Like I said, I think they made four of the six errors. It was just a bad night, and that happens in in baseball occasionally. It's just it's too bad for Windsor that it happened there. Um, but the performance we saw from Sullivan, I mean, that's an all-time performance. It's hard to even think of anyone who's topped it. I couldn't think of anyone. No one in the press box could because you're talking about. He scored four runs. He had six RBI, the two home runs, the two triples. It's just, it's unreal yeah. in, a, in, a, in any game. Like, I haven't seen <laughs> that in, like, on May 10th, you know? Like, right. But in a championship game to do that. And then the kid is so calm and, like, just, he was very happy but not overly effusive after the game and, you know, very polite and, like, like it hadn't happened, you know? Like, like <laughs> or maybe he was in shock. <laughs> but I think, you know, he's going to the University of Virginia. He's obviously a legit prospect there but what a performance I mean people are going to talk about his game that night forever yeah. when they're talking about high school baseball. Yeah, that uh, sounds like a good uh, it's a good research project for somebody sitting in my chair to start uh, trying to dig through the archives and figure out uh, anybody who's put uh, put up that kind of numbers and excited to hear uh, my wife is a graduate. Let, let me know, the, please, because I would be... <laughs> I will, I will, uh, we will, we will share that information if I can track it down. Yeah, that's and, uh, awesome, yeah. Uh, my wife is a University of Virginia graduate, she'll, so she'll be happy to hear that uh, the, the Wahoos are uh, adding some good Connecticut talent. They're getting there. a good one. They are getting a good one in that kid for sure very good all right so uh class s uh which wrapped up the uh or excuse me didn't wrap up the day it continued the day on uh yeah. on saturday notre dame of fairfield and coventry a uh, little bit of a, a tighter game ends up with uh again plenty of offense with notre dame fairfield coming away with the 10-6 uh, victory story of that game scott uh notre dame really jumped out on them early you yeah. know it was 10 
two, I think, at one point, and then ten four. Uh, you know, Coventry got back in. It had a chance actually to do some more damage later in the game, but uh, Notre Dame Fairfield worked out of it. You know, watching the game, I never felt like Notre Dame was going to lose it once they got up so big. Yeah. Um, and you know, they have a little more depth at pitching, so they were, you know their bullpen was able to do a little more. Um, but they had a couple good performances from kids like Austin Allen and Romano, um, and a freshman. You know, it got within, so it got to eight six uh, in the sixth inning, and then uh, this freshman, uh, Kurt Setter, I forget his first name is Kurt Setter, drove in two more runs. Mm-hmm. He's a kid we're going to be talking about a long time. Cause he's yeah. a really good player. He's a freshman. Uh, he drove in two more runs, padded the lead back up to four. So, like I said, you know. Coventry had a shot. I mean, they could have. They had the tie-in run at the plate in in the sixth, but um, it always felt like Notre Dame Fairfield's game. And once Notre Dame Fairfield got through the bottom half of that bracket, which was tough with Holy Cross and St. Paul, yeah, you know that was kind of a loaded bracket for them. And they got through it. Um, you know, I, you know, a lot of people were rooting for Coventry as the underdog in that game for a lot of reasons, but. Notre Dame Fairfield felt like the favorite, and they played like it, you know, most of the game. And the game was a little cleaner. It was more hits. You know, the Weathersfield game, like I said, there was a lot of errors and sloppy stuff. But the Notre Dame game was just really you know, a lot of kids just, just hitting the ball really, really well. Yeah. Uh, all right. So then finally the Class M, which wrapped up competition uh, on the Saturday night. Uh, another uh, offensive performance with Seymour scoring uh, 13 runs in that one in the Class M <laughs> championship to uh to get past Wolcott uh 13 to 2 more offense to talk about Scott what was sort of uh the 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 big picture takeaway from that game you know Pete and I were looking at it yesterday and we had to go back really far um to find a year where there was three games with double digit run totals I think Mm -hmm. we went all the way back until the early 70s or maybe late 60s yeah uh to to find three games in one weekend Mm -hmm. uh with that many runs you know there was other and even the runs that were scored in uh, these games, like the 16 runs, that, that had, went back to like 81, where there was like 18 runs scored or something. But anyway, it was you know almost like a historic weekend with the amount of runs scored. So yeah. it was fitting that the last game was <laughs> <laughs> was another one. Um, you know, we thought Walcott uh, was going to win. I mean, we thought they were just having like a really special season. But Seymour had already beat them in the regular season, uh, kind of in a crazy way. You know, they trailed seven nothing and ended up winning eight seven. Right. And when you look, you know, Seymour went to extra innings against um, Coggenshog, I think. And, but the rest of the tournament, nobody was really close to them. They sort of rolled over everyone. And when I saw them in the semis, I went to the M semis, and they just uh, they beat St. Joe's eight nothing. And St. Yeah. Joe's had been scoring sixteen, thirteen, twelve runs a game. Right. And to see them shut out was really impressive. And then Seymour hitting. And then Seymour was just, when a team gets hot like that, they're hard to stop in a state tournament. And they rolled into that Walcott game. And, you know, credit to Seymour. They, they just played a really, really good game that day and, and, and buried them and left no drama to the night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you got your drama out of the way early on Saturday. And, uh, yeah, the drama was out of the way early. And, you know, in some ways that's okay for us after I was going to say, get, day, your, uh, but... get your leads written early and, uh, and stick to them. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, Austin Green was was really good for Seymour pitching. Uh, you know, he had a great game. Um, and then a lot of kids hit. You know, no one stood out the way that Sullivan did for Weathersfield, but uh, Seymour hit well. And then for Walcott, uh, you know, Jack Drury had the had the home run. That was really all they got. Yeah, offensively. And and we thought, you know, they went up one nothing, and we were like, oh, here comes Walcott. You know, this is you know, they're going to roll again. And uh, it wasn't to be. You know, so you know. Credit to Seymour and to all the champions. It, it was everyone earned it. You know what I mean. Yeah. Even whether it's one nothing or thirteen to two, you know you, you earned the victories. But it was a little surprising to see the scores as high as they were this year. But you know it was a, it was a unique season, I guess. Yeah. No, it's interesting. We were. Uh, I just had a conversation with uh, Coach George DeMeo about the softball championship and sort of the same story there. Just a ton of runs uh, in in a lot of the finals. I wonder if just everyone was so happy to finally be playing, not in rain and uh, fifty degree <laughs> temperatures, that they're uh, you know everybody breaks out. But it is interesting to see. You know, it may just be a fluke, and you're trying to find any kind of uh, rationale for it that uh, just doesn't exist. Maybe just one of those uh, one of those weekends when everyone's swinging the bats. So. Yeah, the softball, that's always surprising because usually by the time you get to the final, you get two really good pitchers. Yeah. But 
I don't think any pitcher would have slowed down Massick softball. <laughs> no, I don't think they so. Were, they uh, they were a machine. I saw them at one point. Wow, what a team that was. Yeah, no, they uh, an impressive uh, run for them. So let's yeah. uh, kind of pull back uh, maybe a little big picture, starting just with the tournaments, uh, Scott. I know uh, on your excellent podcast, which I highly recommend to uh, to everybody, the High and Tight podcast that you do with Pete Paguaga, you went through uh, and made predictions prior to the tournament. And I'm not going to make you uh, you know walk through those and see how you did. <laughs> But I'm just kind of curious, you know, sort of in the context of that, what were some of the real surprises for you, uh, you know, in the tournaments? Obviously, with baseball, this has been written about, you know, single elimination uh, in baseball, maybe more than any other sport with the tournament, you can see unpredictable things happen. But uh, I'm just kind of curious uh, in sort of the context of your predictions or just kind of what you thought, how you might have thought the tournaments played out. uh, What were some things that surprised you along the way? As far as our predictions go, between the two of us, uh, Walcott was the only team. Pete picked Walcott to make the final. So All right. <laughs> of the eight finalists that we picked, we had one right. Okay. So, so that they... tells you how crazy <laughs> baseball is, and that's kind of what we expected. And we said it before the tournament. You know, you just don't know in a single elimination baseball tournament uh, what can happen because you run into a hot pitcher or a ball yep. bounces the wrong way on one day, and, and that's it for you. And, mm-hmm. and baseball is not set up that way. You know, it's right. not set up to be a one-game series. But – that's what makes, you know, what Amity's done the last few years so crazy, to, you know, to all of us because yeah. we know how random the tournament is, and they made the semifinals again yeah. this year. And we're right – I mean, they, they almost made the final again. I mean, yeah. they were one wild pitch, and, and they're back in the final. You know, that continues to surprise me every year. Every year, you know, I looked at them. They were a good team. They were a top-five team in double L. But you think, oh, they're not going to do it again. Not again. Yeah. And I really like South Windsor uh, this year, who they ended up beating in the quarterfinals. Um, I, I thought South Windsor, we thought, I, I thought the, uh, the CCC was strong this year. I, you know, I thought South Windsor, Windsor, Weathersfield were all really good teams. I thought South Windsor would make a run. Uh, but when you run into Amity in the double L tournament, and, I mean, so many people's seasons have ended at the hands of Amity, you know, yeah. like, one guy said to me on Twitter, he said, Legion season starts the day after you play Amity in the double L tournament. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. I mean, just think about how many teams they've eliminated over the last five years. They almost made six finals in a row. That's, yeah. It's so nuts yeah, in a sport it, like baseball. But, you know, we liked Cheshire all year. We liked Ben DeLabelle. Uh, we thought they were a legitimate contender. And, you know, we went and looked at our top ten poll from the preseason, which sometimes can be wildly different mm-hmm. from the end. But seven of the teams are still, were still there, and then the others were right on the cusp. Right. So, you know, the teams that we thought were going to be good ended up being pretty good. There was a few teams that disappointed, and then a few teams who really surprised us this mm-hmm. year, like Walcott and like uh, Chapag Valley, who had an awesome season, and like Haddam Killingworth. You know, those teams went in as number one seeds into their tournament. Those are small schools that got ranked at, you know, at points during the year and, and won some big games. Mm-hmm. Um, Montville, who ended up losing that crazy, crazy game to St. Joe's, you know, they beat Waterford this year. They beat um, Holy Cross this year. Uh, so, you know, when we were looking at the tournament, we were looking at games in the first and second round that we thought were championship worthy. Yeah. You know, like legitimately championship game worthy. And I think that speaks to the depth of baseball now. There's just so many good teams and so many good players. Like, those championship games were littered with Division One kids. Yeah. It didn't always used to be that way, you know, and it seems to be that way now every year, where the, you know the baseball is just getting better up here, the level of play is getting better. I can tell you, it's way better than when I played across the board. You know, there was always good players, but because these kids play so much in the off season, because of the training that they have access to, baseball is so good right now at the high school level, and it's really a treat to watch. Yeah, no question about it. I agree. Yeah, you sort of get into these championship games, and as you say, you see all the, the talent, and then knowing all the talent that didn't even make it to the uh, to, to the finals at, uh, at Palmer Field. And you do talk about Amity. That does seem to defy everything we sort of know about, uh, you know, odds and logic to some degree that they keep, uh, you know, in, in other sports, as we say, you know, the dominant teams tend to progress consistently and at least get to, you know, maybe a semifinal, but just hasn't right. happened in baseball. It's such a, you know, unless you have just a, a massively dominant team, which they haven't necessarily been that, uh, it's pretty amazing to uh, to see the kind of run that they've been on. So, Right, and, and they had the best player in the state, arguably, in Pat Winkle. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he's awesome. He got drafted by the Yankees. 
he's going to go play at UConn. But, and they have really good players, but yet, right this year they were far from a dominant team. You know, it's not like they just, they're not just a machine. I mean, the kids are graduating and yes. new kids are coming in, but the system, whatever they do there, the system works. Uh, you know, part of it, though, as prepared as you can be, as good as fundamentally as you can be, you still need luck in the state tournament. Oh, you know, sure. just a ball hits the lip of a grass and your season's over. So yep. that, that's what makes it even crazier to me is that the, the randomness of it, like all credit to them for everything they do, but there's programs like Staples and Cheshire and everyone else who does the same sort of thing and, and does it just as well, but doesn't make the semifinals six years in a row. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it seems uh, it does. It and just, double as L said. so good. I mean, it, it's, it was so good this year, Joel. I mean, the, you know, those like I said, those first round games were so good this year. The second yeah. round games were so good this year. Double L was loaded, loaded with really good teams. Yeah, yeah. No, it again. It's it, it's sort of you want. I mean, you just kind of accept that it's going to happen to some degree, but it doesn't seem to make any sense <laughs> from what well, we uh, Pete, kind Pete of understand about the final. The and I said, why? He goes, just because they're amity. Yeah. <laughs> Because until they get beat, then I'm just going to keep picking them until they get beat. Yeah, that's uh, that's that, that's sound logic. So I'll uh, I'll make you uh, put you on the spot a little bit here. Just uh, give me uh, your favorite. Uh, doesn't necessarily have to be the best, but just say your favorite uh, game you saw in the tournament this year, and then uh, favorite regular season game you saw this year. Um, my favorite game in the tournament, I think, was Staples Cheshire. Uh, that was just a back and forth game. Cheshire ended up winning five four. Uh, there was you know home runs. There was great defensive plays. Chris Durbel for Staples jumped like Mike Trout over the fence and robbed a home run from oh, Ben wow. De La Bell. And what's crazy is in the first round of the 2017 tournament, De La Bell hit a ball to center field at Staples, and Durbel did the almost exact same catch. <laughs> uh, so two years in a row, the same kid robbed the same kid in like a similar amazing play one of the best plays i've ever seen in a high school game but that game was just it was a heavyweight fight it's elite double l baseball and uh it was chad knight uh pitching for staples who's their best pitcher ben de la bell pitching for cheshire he's their best pitcher Mm -hmm. you know both kids gave up a few runs but were still really really solid and dominant and I i loved that game and um yeah it was hard to top the the final was really good too i mean don't get me wrong and I didn't see those double L semis. I was at the M semis that night. But right. uh, from from what Pete said, both of those games, I think those. If you ask him, those are the two games, uh, his favorite games of the season. Yeah. Um, in the regular season, I saw uh, you know a few good games. Um, I saw a Darian Wilton game that was a walk off that was really awesome. Uh, West Hill and Staples played a really good game uh, at West Hill this year. Um, yeah, it's hard to pick this one. I, you sure. know, I saw a few close ones, and you know, uh, there's a lot of games, you know, good games in the FCAC and the SEC all the time. You know, it's just it's really competitive baseball uh, across the board. And as you can tell by how many teams they put into these tournaments and how many teams advance in these tournaments. Yeah, no question about it. All right, I'll put you on the spot one more time, but uh, no, I like it. I like um, it. <laughs> so just say, and again, this doesn't. And you've talked about a lot of the, you know, these standout players, uh, Division One talent, that kind of stuff. Just give me your your favorite player that you saw this year. Again, doesn't necessarily, maybe not necessarily the best player, but although it could be, but uh, your favorite player from the 2018 uh, high school baseball season. Wow, my favorite player. I saw some good ones. I really like uh, De La Belle from Cheshire. I mean, I know we talk about him a lot on our podcast, sure. but he's going to West Point. He has so much poise when he's playing, when he's speaking to, you know, the media after the game. Uh, he's obviously a bulldog competitor. He's a great hitter. He's a good pitcher. And he's just like a, a – you don't want to say great kid. You know, that kind of gets thrown around too much, but he, but he kind of is. He just <laughs> – I don't know him personally, you know, like outside of baseball, sure. but just the way he conducts himself. Um, and then there's some other kids that I cover, you know, on a more daily basis, like Sean O'Malley at Darien. He's a kid who comes back from injury and labrum surgery and fought back. And again, a really nice kid too, and a super competitive kid. Um, you know, the kids at West Hill who I cover, you know, like, the shortstop T.J. Wainwright. I mean, just a kid who plays hard. He's always in the dirt. You know, is friendly when you talk to him. Says hello when you see him at the games. You know, yeah. You develop relationships with the kids you see. You know, day in and day out like that. But of the kids I covered, you know, kind of in a broader sense, I would say Ben. I mean, I just, 
I just really like the kid. You know, I just, I just, um, and, and he's a great baseball player too. So he gave me, <laughs> he gave me a lot of fun games to watch. And like you said, he was in two of the best games I saw, the, right. you know, the state final and then the, and the quarterfinal against Staples. So I enjoyed that Cheshire team a lot. You know, I only got to see him, you know, a couple times, but, uh, you know, it's good for them to win first. And that's a great baseball town and it's their first state title since 93. So. And, you know, it means a lot to communities like that, you know, to win baseball championships. So I, I, I'm, I'm happy for them. Now Stanford needs to get one. There you go. Stanford. It's been a long time for Stanford school. <laughs> <laughs> well, getting that plug in, and, uh, and we appreciate it. So, uh, Scott, uh, great job as always. Uh, I encourage everybody to check out Game Time CT, uh, the High and Tight podcast. Scott, not satisfied in just being a guest on uh, every other podcast around about <laughs> high school sports in the state. Had to start his own uh, talking about baseball. Ball. So check that out. Check out all the great work. Uh, the the final uh, coach or the final poll just came out uh, with Cheshire at the top. All kinds of good stuff there. So we appreciate it as always, Scott. Uh, great job. Uh, take a breath and, and get ready for the summer. All right. Thanks so much, Joel. Always a pleasure to check in with Scott. He's got a lot of knowledge, really keeps tabs on things uh, around the world of Connecticut high school sports and baseball in particular uh, catches his eye in the spring season. They do a great job there. The the folks at Game Time CT and Hearst Media covering uh, really all over the state. They really made an effort to, uh, to keep tabs on what was happening with baseball all across the state of Connecticut, and they did a great job covering things from Palmer Field as well. So thank you, as always, to Scott. He's been a frequent guest on the CIC cast, and thank you also to uh, a couple of first-time guests, the coach, George DeMeo, Xavier High School uh, golfer, Chris Fosdick, and, of course, as well, Tom Felice, who I believe has joined us before as well. But we thank all of them, as just as we thank you for joining us for another edition of the CIC cast, episode 92, I believe it is. We are moving up towards that 100 mark, and I have to come up with something special uh, for the 100th episode of the CIC cast. If you have any ideas on that or anything else for that matter, you can email us at ciaccast at c-a-s-c-i-a-c dot o-r-g. That's ciaccast at c-a-s-c-i-a-c dot o-r-g. You can reach out to us there. Any guests that you'd like us to cover, any topics you think we should chat about, uh, anything. You can also, of course, Find us on CICsports.com. Tournament Central uh, has all the information from the past championships. If you listen to the podcast, you can find a link there. has all of the available episodes. Or, of course, if you uh, wherever you get your podcast, whether it's iTunes, we'd love it if you'd subscribe there, rate us, and leave us a review. You can get it on the Google Play. You can also uh, hear us on Stitcher. So a couple different venues and uh, platforms to find the CIAC cast. We hope you will do that. Hope you will also follow us on Twitter, at CIAC Sports. We're going to be doing... Hopefully some interesting things uh, over the course of the summer. Try to get uh, some more feature story kind of things going throughout the summer. Um, I know we're planning to do uh, last year. had a lot of fun doing the top CIAC championship moment. We did a big vote uh, as well as uh, voting on social media. So keep your eyes open for that. Have a few uh, ideas on on moments from our uh, championships that we're going to want to include in this year's CIAC top moments vote. So keep your eyes open for that probably in late June. A lot of other features. Best way to not miss anything. Follow us on Twitter at CIACsports.com. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash CIACsports. And Instagram. We are there as well. CIAC Sports is the handle there. So all of that said, we thank you very much. I said I was going to try to keep my talking to a minimum. Hopefully I did that. Let the guests do all the heavy lifting this week. We hope you'll be back with us. As I said, we'll try to stay on our every other week schedule despite the uh, little bit slower pace in the summer. So whenever we return, hopefully in two weeks, we hope you will join us for another edition of the CIAC Cast. (laughs) 